Amen. One more time, put your hands together and give the Lord praise this morning. We love you, Lord. How many of you are glad to be here today? Say amen. amen. We just want to welcome the 8th Street Mission for Jesus Christ. They're in the house today. Thank you for coming and worshiping with us. We're excited to have you. What a blessing you are in this community. Today I want to jump right in. We've been doing a series called In God We Trust, basically informing us about the importance of not merely saying something in the way of a verbal commitment, but following it up with our actions. If we really put our trust in God, then when it comes to our living, our lifestyle, our behavior, uh, and especially about this series about money, let me just say this to you. If this is your first time to be at Victory, I just, I want to uh, I want to qualify what I'm about to say. I apologize because I hate for you to come visit us and the very first time you show up at church, I'm preaching on money. Um, at the same time, I'm not apologizing because this is clearly in the Word. And uh, we hope that you'll come back and be with us again and worship with us. I'm going to give some very obvious substantiation of Scripture today uh, just to talk about us being a generous people, about having a generous kind of lifestyle. Two other messages go in front of this. One was called Kingdom Entrepreneurs, where we learn about our purpose. It was Dr. Miles Monroe that said, if purpose is not understood, then abuse is inevitable. If we don't know the purpose of a thing, then it's likely, it's very probable that we will abuse or misuse that thing. And we're not just talking about things, material goods, whether money or whatever. But if you don't know your purpose in God, then misuse or abuse is likewise inevitable in your life. God's given us a purpose. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, God spoke himself and he said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. The theologians call that the imago Dei, the image of God. Everybody say the image of God. The image of God has been stamped into us and we have a twofold purpose. First of all, it is the upward reach or the upward bar of the cross, reaching up between heaven and earth from man to God, God down to man, man up to God. It is that area of commonality. It is something that we have in common. We share the image of God, even though sin entered and marred and broke us. There is still the image of God that is shared and that's what God is after in sending his son. God was the original entrepreneur and, and made the greatest investment in the planet and in the people, in this crown of his creation called humankind. He gave his uniquely begotten son. And so God desires that we have communion with him, that we reach up to him and we know him. We're in relationship with him. Uh, what is it? The gospel of John in chapter 17, I believe about verse 3 said, this is eternal life, to know God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And the message says this is the real and lasting eternal life. This is the real kind of life when I can know God. But you know what? It's not, that's not all. There's actually another portion of the purpose of God for us. It is out of that relationship, out of that communion, God desired that there would be an outward reach of the other bar of the cross and that is that man... And woman together, male and female, he made them. He made Adam and he made them together to be a representation of himself in the earth, that they would rule in his stead. 
So out of relationship, upward reach, then comes rulership, the outward reach. Out of communion comes dominion. God has called us to be people of influence. You are significant. I had an unusual week this week. I had two funerals that I had to preach, one Thursday and then one Friday, a graveyard or a gravesite service uh, Friday afternoon. And both of these tremendous women of God that, that, that passed and just the testimony of how they had touched so many lives. The recognition of this principle is so powerful. Uh, behavioral psychologists tell us that even the shyest person over the course of an average lifespan of three score and 10 or 70 years will affect no less than about 10,000 people. You will touch that many people to some degree more than others over the period of your lifetime. So you may think you're not an important person, but everyone in this room is a man or a woman of influence. Come on, put your hands together. Let's give the Lord praise. You have a purpose. Your purpose is to know God and then to represent God. Everybody, now we're going to put a little delta E's on this. Everybody say, represent. You're supposed to represent the Lord. Okay. Everywhere we go in word and speech and action and everything that we do, it is, you are the living letter, the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3. He said, you know, there's some folks who, didn't, who won't have a chance to see Jesus in the way we have seen him in our lifetime. He said, therefore, you are going to be the representation. Let's say it this way, represent Christ. You're going to represent the Lord. You are representing him. When you represent God, you are representing him to everyone out there to see. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. And it's not just in word, but it's in action. It's love one to another. So there, there is a twofold purpose. As I walk with the Lord in intimacy, out of that flows ministry. As I walk with him in relationship, out of that flows rulership. As I walk with the Lord in communion, out of that flows dominion. It's the two bars of the cross. God wants a people that have cross-filled lives who take up their cross in the upreach to know him and then in the outreach to serve all of creation. Sing with me now. I love that new song. Come on, lay your burden down. Take up, hear, hear what God is saying. All of creation, sing with me now. Lay that thing down because God has bridged the gap for us. Seven things I want to talk to you about very briefly this morning. I know we're going to have some amazing barbecue. I hope the mission will come and be with us because we have more than enough. Please, we'd like a chance to serve you. This is some of the finest, some of the best, and we've got a bunch of some amazing barbecue fiends in this church between Darren Johnson and Jerome Alford and Michael Rushing and, and Steve Baskins, who's the one who's doing it this time, and they are all unique, a little bit of different flavor, different sauce. This is going to be some mighty fine. I mean, this is slap your mama barbecue. It's how good it is. <laughs> some good, 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 good stuff. Seven things I want to share with you, and before we jump into that today, um, I just want to tell you there are three areas that God wants us to be givers. He wants us to be generous. Um, three areas that are pretty obvious, and we say that around here. God wants you to have a 3T lifestyle. Everybody say that. God wants you to have a 3T lifestyle. Everybody say time, talent, and treasure. That's the 3T lifestyle right there. Now, here is our scripture, and I'd like you to look on one of the screens with me, wherever it's comfortable, maybe in your notes, and I want you to read this out loud with me. It's just one verse. 
okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. Are you ready? Here we go. Just as you excel in everything else, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, see that you excel in the grace of giving. God, I just acknowledge before you and this people that I'm totally bankrupt, utterly dependent upon you. God, you are everything, I am nothing. Apart from you, I can do nothing, but Lord, with you, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Thank you today that that's the testimony of every believer in this room. We just ask you, O oh God, you who open the ears to hear and give us eyes to see, do that today, Lord, so that we can hear and understand, so that we can see and perceive all that you've called us to be. Thank you for the amazing gift of God that you've given to us in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. I have seven things I want to talk to you about today. Generosity is a lifestyle. Generosity is a lifestyle. Now, you may or may not know this, and let me just say this. I've had to overcome um, the tendency to apologize ever talking about money. I grew up in a church, and it was just such an outrageous emphasis They way, way, way overbuilt a huge building, seat about 3,000 people. We had a great move of God. Revival was going on, and they would take offerings that would take an hour to an hour and a half. And because of that, I just put such a bad taste in my mouth. And I've told you last week, I confessed that I watched very little Christian television because I despise the constant pull for money. At the same time, I know that it takes finances to advance the kingdom of God. And so I want to talk to you just from the scripture, because whether you know this or not, Jesus talked about money more than he did any other subject in the New Testament. Now, that may come as a surprise to you. More than prayer, more than hell combined. Those two subjects combined are not as many times as he talked about stewarding resources. One man who had one talent, one man who had two, one who had five talents. What did you do with it? If you're faithful in a little, you'll be ruler over much. Multitudes of times he's talking about the shrewd manager. He's talking about taking care of your things. Don't be like the guy who tore down his barns and built bigger ones just to hoard it all. But he talked about storing up treasures in heaven. All of these things over and over. This is the one thing that God said through his son Jesus that you cannot serve both God and, which is what? God and mammon or God and money. Everything else is understood, but money has an allurement to it. We've said this. Many times it's been misquoted that money is the root of all evil, and that's not true. It's the love of it, and you don't have to have any of it to love it. We're not against rich people. We're not against poor folks. I just I want to tell you today, it's all about putting things in proper alignment with what God's Word says. And so we want to be faithful to what the Word of the Lord says. Jesus gave us some examples. There are seven things that I want to give you very quickly. Are you ready? Look at your neighbor and say, buckle your seatbelt. Uh, We're going to jump in this very very quickly this morning. Number one, giving helps me reflect God's character. Giving helps me reflect God's character. Everybody say God's character. His nature, his design, his, his essence, who he is. There are a number of things that theologians call communicable attributes. How God loves, how he is merciful, the fact that he is just. What separates him is his holiness. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. There are things that are shared that we have like him, but there are a host of things that we're not like him. God is completely independent. He doesn't need anything outside of himself. He is almighty. He is infinite. I am finite. 
He is transcendent. He is creator. I am creation. And there is a difference. Even in the new creation, in, in, in the restoration and in the fresh start that God has given me in Christ, I want to tell you throughout the rest of eternity, I will always forever be learning of the, the manifold wisdom and the riches and the blessing and the goodness of all that God is. I, 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 there won't ever be a time that I know all that God knows, otherwise I'd be God. You won't be, I won't be. He is God and we are not. Somebody said one time, the most amazing realization that you can ever come to is to realize two things. Number one, there is a God. Number two, you're not him. Pretty powerful. He is God and I am not. Somebody also said, and I believe this is very apropos for today because we're talking about purpose. The two most important days in any person's life is the day they were born and secondly, the day they figure out why. Two most important days in your life as the creation of God is the day you were born, your birthday. By the way, my hero of faith, come on, Jeremiah over here, my, our youth pastor, his birthday today. That's an important day. It's an important day in his life. It's an important day in my life because he's a man of influence. Second most important day is the day he found out why. And you know what? He has a purpose. You have a purpose. Every one of you in this room, and it's First of all, begins with that twofold aspect of communion and dominion. And in too many places, we see folks where those things are disjointed. We see godly people who know the Lord and who love him with all of their hearts, but they've abdicated this idea of having any influence in the culture around them. Why polish the brass on a sinking ship? Whole culture's going to hell in a handbasket. You're going to fly out of here any second. Don't worry about all that. Just let it all go because Jesus is going to come snatch us all out of here. And let me tell you, that is not a godly mentality. We need to be affecting change. You need to be a light in the middle of a dark world. Come on, somebody. You need to love the people around you. So much Southern churchianity has given us such legalism where we throw stones at every group, every disenfranchised group. Out of orientation or out of a, a lifestyle or out of all of these different things. And let me tell you something. We will never reach people with the love of God if we have to get in their face with anything that says God hates anything. He hates sin. Every one of us are sinners. Thank God he gave and God's character. God's character, first of all, is to be a giver. God is an influencer. Too many times we see Christians who love the Lord but have abdicated this whole idea of dominion, of rulership, relationship. Yes, I know the Lord, but rulership? Oh, no, I don't even know anything about that. Flip the coin over. In too many places, we see ungodly people who don't know Jesus holding places and positions of political and financial and economic and, 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 and places of notoriety in the culture and in the community and celebrity status and all this kind of stuff. And they're demonstrating a lifestyle that is completely ungodly. Now, would to God that we could get on our prayer bones, on our knees, and cry out to God for revival to come and reach them so that we would have righteous men and women ruling in places, establishing the authority of God. And that doesn't mean domination. The Bible word dominion means you serve and bring change by doing the way Jesus did, by getting up underneath the hurts and the wounds of society and the people that are out there. Come on, somebody. Give the Lord some praise this morning. Giving helps me to reflect, first of all, God's character because God is, first of all, a giver. The first law of love is giving. For God so loved that he what? He gave. If you love somebody, you willingly, sacrificially, 
cheerfully, expectantly give out of the blessing and the abundance and the goodness of your heart. Number two, giving draws me closer to God. Number two, giving draws me closer to God. Listen to Matthew 6.21. All of these that I'm quoting are from the message. I love the provocative way that the words are shared because it just sort of jars us, maybe sometimes out of our King Jimmy mentality. Matthew 6.21. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and will end up being. Come on, you know what King James says. It says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be be also. And it's just, that's like we've heard it so much, it just sort of becomes glazed over. America has been so saturated with the gospel. In John 3, 16, it's like, I I almost wish that for a season we could just back up and just hold our breath just for a little bit and, and just cry out to God and pray for God to bring conviction. And then when people really desperately understand their sinful state, then reintroduce and say, but yes, God loves you so much that he provided a way. He's bridged the gap. So many folks see a remedy and don't even know they're sick, much, I mean, much less dead. Let me tell you, sinfulness is not a, a, a state of sickness. You don't need a gospel. Some of you caught that. You're not sick in sin. Baby, you're dead in sin. You need somebody to raise you up out of death and into life and pull you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You don't, you don't need a little gospel. You, you, you don't need a real nice little psychologically enhanced, make you feel better, feel good about all your mess kind of a message. Now, you need somebody to tell you the honest to God truth. God hates sin, but he still loves you in the middle of all this, and he's going to yank you up out of it. Come on, somebody. When I give, when I give, it draws me closer to God because it puts my heart in the place where my treasure is. And I, I, I put God first. I get in alignment. I, I, I give him my first, and I give him my best. Last week, we talked about the first fruits principle, the tithe principle. When I... When I represent the whole by giving God the first 10%, then God says that he will sanctify and bless the other 90. And so when I'm giving God first, I'm, I'm, I'm responding and I'm, I'm drawing closer to God. When I give God my best, that's what we're talking about this morning, a generous lifestyle. Number three, giving is the antidote to materialism. Giving is the antidote to materialism. And let me just say something to you. I, I, I don't understand when I, when I turn on these cable channels and I see these hoarder shows. And, and folks got stuff stacked up and, and they're like kind of crawling around in their house in a little rat path because they've got so much stuff. And I just want to confess to you this morning that there would probably be a little bit of a tendency for that to probably be in my life. My younger brother and I, Dewey, your congregation doesn't really know my, my older brother, Jim. He's been here a couple times. My sister, Phyllis, the eldest in our family. Mom and, mom and dad really had two families. Brother and sister, three years apart, 14 years span. And then, boop, surprise, here comes Michael. <laughs> Three years later, another surprise. Here comes Dewey. Oh, my goodness. 
I got into my mother's journal, private notes one time, and she talked about when she found out I was going to be born, she said she thought God was trying to kill her. <laughs> I took it to her and I said, what does this mean? <laughs> she said, now, son, let me just explain. <laughs> I mean, it's a late in life, baby. And you just, you know, uh, it, uh, dad and mom both grew up in the Great Depression. Dad was born 1914 and uh, lived as a 20-year-old young man, 20s, living through the time when unemployment was 25% and men stood in soup lines and uh, it was not really knowing where your next meal was going to come from. And because of that, my dad was always very frugal and conservative and, and he saved everything. He, he, he just couldn't bear to part with that last, that, that, that rubber washer because there would probably come a day when he would need that rubber washer. And, and I'm not in any kind of way, I'm just talking about my heritage. I'm not, I'm not at all making fun of my dad. I'm lo I love my dad and I'm crazy about my dad. And there's just some things that, you know, you just say, I'm never going to be like that. And bless God, you just get ready. You're going to grow up and do the exact same thing. <laughs> And so once in a while I see this happening to me and so I'll just go through and clean out and, and some of it is, you know, some, some of this stuff, doesn't anybody need to be blessed with some of this junk? You just need to throw it away. <laughs> Other stuff that you just don't need, you realize you haven't used in a while, man, there's so many ways you can bless folk with it. Others folk, other people that are in need, you know, it, uh, I just want to encourage you. We're, we're, we're thankful that the mission is here today. They run an amazing thrift store ministry, both on uh, right on Broadway and one also, a new one just opened in Marion. There, there's a great way that you can go through some of your stuff. And let me tell you, nobody has more clothes than a fat man. And, and some of you, you've seen me kind of yo-yo up and down over the years. And I have clothes in 30, 60, and 100-fold sizes. I just want you to know it's totally biblical. And right now, I'm kind of living in about the 75-fold range. So. <laughs> so once in a while, when I feel like I'm kind of, you know, things are sort of backed up economically, there are ways that you can just, you know, start to give. Make God always gives seed to the sower. There's something there in your house, in your area, in your circumstances that you can give. I'm going to tell you, even if it's not material, you can give somebody some encouragement. You can give a brother some friendship. Come on, somebody. I just want to be generous. I don't want to be stingy. I don't want to be a miser. Some of you have heard me tell the story a few years ago. I, I, I really had sort of gone really hard into the, I think, into the extreme of the whole religious right thing and the whole Republican ideology and, you know, if you don't work, you don't eat and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's biblical. It's what the Word says. But there's also another representation of that. And this is the reason why I have, over the last few years, departed from embracing any political ideology because Jesus is not a Democrat, nor is he a Republican. That comes as a surprise to a lot of Christians. And let me just say this to you. There are principles and truths on both sides of those that have biblical substantiation. And it's when really as a Christ comes and he stands between the Pharisees on one side and the Sadducees on the other, the fundamentalists and the modernists, the Republicans and the Democrats, and he stands up here and he says, brothers, neither one of them is the way. I've got an alternative. It's this third way, and I'm going to take some from that, and I'm going to take some from that, and we're going to put this thing together and call it the kingdom of God. I just don't think that we can look a homeless person in the face and say, you don't work, you don't eat, until we're 
able to bring them up out of a, of a mindset that has gripped their thinking. It's a poverty that is not just financial. It's a poverty that's in the mind. It's a poverty that grips, that binds. It's a stronghold of the enemy. And before we can ever reach into their souls, sometimes we have to put a warm meal into their stomach. And we have to reach out and put some clothes on them because they're cold. And I just think the church has just run so headlong. It's always one or the other, an extreme one side or the other, where Christ is always standing in the middle saying, no, 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 it's the third alternative here. It is neither of those exclusively, but it's both and. And we've got to reach out. I, I pulled up at Madison off the interstate, the exit right there, and a homeless guy is standing there with a sign that says, we'll work for food. And I'm, I just, I, I sneered. I, no, you won't. Okay, get in, get in the back seat and come cut my grass and I'll feed. No, I, we all know it's, it's a game. Uh, but do we? Do we really know? We think we know. And, and, and it's, it's so quick that we can, we, we can make a decision and jump to a conclusion and cast some judgment immediately on somebody. And we can, you know, I mean, I had everything already lined up. I had it all worked out in my thinking. That guy's standing out there and in six hours he can make more money in a day than I can. If every 10th car pulling through gives him a buck, he can make $300 out there in no time. I mean, I've got it all laid out, I'm just sure. And I pulled up there and God spoke to my heart down in here. He said, give him something. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't disrespect the Lord, but I heard it. And then after I heard myself say that, I was smitten in my heart and I, I was broken. And I heard yeah, you have a pastor who actually believes that God speaks to people. You better believe it. My God, don't be in a church where a preacher doesn't believe that he talks to people. Matter of fact, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just go a step further than that. He's talking to everybody in this room this morning, but you're just not listening. Matter of fact, if you really want to think about it, there are all kinds of signals and voices that are without signification, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that are going through this room and you're not hearing them because you don't have a receiver that's not tuned into the right frequency. There are AM and FM and XM radio signals and there's a wireless internet that's sending signals through here and there are shortwave radio and there's, there's microwave and all kinds of things that are going on in this room right through here, cell phone signals. Some of you are getting texts. Well, if you've got a receiver that will pick it up, then you can get that message and you can understand what's being sent to you. This morning, I want to ask you, is your spirit alive and is it turned on and are you tuned into him today? Because God is talking to somebody in this room. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He said it and I heard it right here and I said, you've got to be kidding me. And I gritted my teeth and I opened my console and I don't ever have much cash. If any of you have a tendency to want to steal from the pastor, don't break into my car because there's not very much in there. 10, 15, 20 bucks at the most. I open up and I've got a Hamilton laying there as a 10, fresh, crisp $10 bill. And I said, Lord, that's, that's, that's my allowance. That's what my wife gave me. And I, I want to get a Starbucks. Lord, I'm headed. I'm headed to Union and McLean. I need a Starbucks. I just feel the anointing for a Starbucks. And the Lord said, and you know, you're going, wait a minute. You've already been on this, this story 10 minutes. How long did this light last? It's amazing how God can do this stuff so quickly. And so I said, oh, okay, Jesus. And I, I took the tin out and I handed it to him. And he's trying to pull it out of my hand, you know. And I, I, I gave it to him and I pulled away. And the Spirit of the Lord very gently spoke to me. And he said, you needed to give that worse than he needed to receive it. 
I just encourage you. Just if you're not in the habit of doing it, just come on, just loosen up your purse strings a little bit. <laughs> just stuff a few Benjamin, not a Benjamin, maybe maybe a few George Washingtons in there. <laughs> I, I spoke before I thought there. <laughs> maybe some of you need to give some Benjamins. Who knows? <laughs> Well, I'm having too good a time here. Let's move on. <laughs> Giving is the antidote to materialism. Clean out your closet. Go give some of it away. Dr dr drive through the line and bless some of those poor homeless folks. Give them a buck. I, I mean, you know what? If they go buy a pack of cigs or a six-pack of beer, that's between them and God. Sometimes you need to give it worse than they need to receive it. I'm not asking you to tell you to write a $200 check. I said one buck, one buck. One, just, just loosen up a little bit. Just be generous. Every time I go, and I, this is, I don't want to break my arm, pat myself on the back, but every time I go through the drive-thru at McDonald's, always jumping that change. I'm thinking, okay, every time. I'm, it's probably two, a couple hundred bucks a year because I'm driving through getting mom something, getting me a breakfast burrito, hallelujah. Dropping some change, and then I'm figuring, okay, over the course of a year, I've probably at least given 100 bucks to Jerry's kids to the finding a cure for muscular dystrophy. Praise God. Just, just generosity. Just bless folks. Just help. Just give. Let a, let a little bit of it go. All right, listen to this. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, Tell those rich in this world's wealth to quit being so full of themselves and so obsessed with money, which is here today and gone tomorrow. Tell them to go after God, who piles on all the riches that we could ever manage to do good, to be rich in helping others, to be extravagantly generous. If they do that, they'll build a treasury that will last, gaining life that is truly life. I preached two funerals this week, and both of those women had the testimony of living a generous life, of living and loving and caring and compassionate. That's the kind of situation where I love to stand up and honor God and Glorify Jesus and honor those who've lived a life to celebrate that kind of extravagant generosity. Number four, giving strengthens my faith. Number four, giving strengthens my faith. Proverbs chapter three, the Bible says, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Now you've learned this one from King James growing up. Proverbs three, five, and six, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. He will make your paths straight, another translation says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Listen to the message. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. God has a way. Listen to verse 9. Honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best. Everybody say the first and the best. Your barns will burst. Your, your wine vats will brim over. I love it. God's going to bless your crops. He's going to bless your vineyard. He's going to bless your sales. Come on. He's going to bless your building. He's going to bless your teaching. He's going to bless whatever you put your hand to and cause it to prosper. Giving strengthens my faith because I'm putting God first and giving him my best. Number five, giving is an investment in eternity. Jesus talked about storing up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt. It's maybe a little crass, but in all of the funerals that I've done over the past 35 years, I have never seen a U-Haul hitched up to the hearse. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
Don't care how much you amass in this life, you can't take it with you into the next life. That doesn't mean that you're foolish with it. You want to be wise. You want to invest in a righteous kind of way. You want to bless others. Both who are worthy of your investment and then those who may not even seem or look like worthy according to the world's standards, you want to be generous to them anyway. Because the Bible says, he that gives to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay. God will not let you be in a situation where he owes you anything. You can never outgive God. Does anybody in the room believe that this morning? That's true. Amen. Giving is an investment in eternity. Listen to this, 1 Timothy 6, 18 and 19. To do good, to be rich in helping others, to be extravagantly generous. If they do that, they'll build a treasury that will last, gaining life that is truly life. Storing up treasures in heaven. When, when you give and the gospel goes out, when you give to any ministry, you should always give with the expectation that there's going to be a return on that investment. God tells us that as we are seed conscious, from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, every seed reproduces after its own kind. And so we are expectant. There is nothing wrong. If you sow love, guess what you're going to get back? If a, if, if a man wants to have friends, he must show himself what? Friendly is what the book of Proverbs says. You, you want to have friendship given to you, then you give in order to receive is what the Bible says. This is the upside down kingdom. You live, you, you, you literally die to your desires so you can come alive to his. You serve before you're great. You give so that you might receive. Luke 6, 38. Given it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, the Bible says. Number six, giving blesses me in return. Proverbs chapter 11, hear this, verse 25. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. Just that seed time harvest principle. What you sow, you'll reap. You know what? This is, this is just the principle. It works out in your garden. You go out there and till it up and you plant taters. You don't reap maters, do you? <laughs> it reproduces after its own kind. You plant potatoes, you reap potatoes. You plant tomatoes, you reap tomatoes. Corn brings corn. Friendship brings friendship. Encouragement, encourage others. It just comes back to you. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, cast your bread upon many waters. And it says, in, in, in not many days, it shall come back to you on every wave. One preacher said one time with peanut butter and jelly on it. Throw your bread out there and it comes back. It's amazing how God brings blessing in on every wave. Amen. God blesses me in return. Generous hands are blessed hands because they give bread to the poor. God is interested in seeing how a prosperous church is going to minister to the poor in its community. We will never be able to reach folk by merely preaching at them. We have to be willing to sow our lives as seed. Jesus Christ stooped very low and he got down underneath every burden of every sin, every habit, every addictive pattern of behavior, every destructive lifestyle and way of living. Jesus Christ embraced it, got up underneath it, and he swallowed it up. You know what? We will never be able to minister and love and get people set free until we'll be willing ourselves to first be generous with our love, with our time, with our talent, with our treasure. Can I have an amen this morning? Amen. 
much God blesses me in return. Number seven, and I'm finished. Giving brings me happiness. Giving brings me happiness. When I can bless somebody else, man, I just can't even begin to describe. When I, when I know that the Lord has put something in my heart, I have, over the course of my life, been in a situation where I have been able to take a vehicle and bless two times, give someone a car because God had blessed me with a new one. A couple of times that's happened, and it's, it's happened into my family. Someone blessed, blessed my son. It was such, a, such an awesome thing with, with a vehicle. It was, an, it, was a, it was an awesome vehicle, and I'm praising God for that and still grateful to this day. Every time I'm able to do something and bless somebody else, it's so amazing and the joy that it brings down in my heart because the Bible says in the book of Acts, he's quoting, he says, even our Savior Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Let me tell you what we're going to be doing. We're going to, we're going to put together a whole thing this winter, actually around Thanksgiving. We're, we want to put some warm coats on the backs of some young kids in this community who don't have. I didn't even announce this at 9 o'clock because we're just now talking about it right now in our staff. We're going to reach out and do something this, this fall as a church. And, and it's not just a matter of we always take care of folks in this church, folks who go through hard times and can't pay their light bill and need some groceries. Man, that's, we're a family. We're a spiritual family. We're here. We want to help take care of. And we're, we're thankful for the mission. We, we, we give and serve and bless, and we just want to bless that ministry as well. But we believe there are some situations. It doesn't all, all have to go to China or to Africa or to South America. We do that too. So don't even think for a second that I'm backing off our world missions commitment. But I believe there are some situations right here in Crittenden County, right here in West Memphis, right here in Marion, where some little kids need some warm coats this winter, and we're going to put them on their backs. We're excited about that. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that next week. But when we can give and we can bless folks, it brings great happiness. The message says you're far happier giving than getting. One, two, three, four attitudes real quickly. And I'm not going to take time to, to even to do the scripture. I just want you to fill in the blanks. Giving with the right attitudes. God wants you to give willingly. Everybody say give willingly. All right. You are a generous people. I want you to know that. I'm thankful for that. The second one, give cheerfully. Everybody say give cheerfully. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. The Greek word is Halaros. Halaros. We get the English word hilarious from it. And it says God loves a halaros giver. God loves a cheerful giver. He wants somebody that gives with, <laughs> praise God. I have another opportunity because God has blessed me in this store. <laughs> storehouse so that I can take of the blessing that God has put in my life and I can bless, <laughs> glory to God, I can bless somebody else. And I'm just trying to tell you it's all about joy. It's about giving it. It's not about not letting go of the Hamilton like I had that attitude. And man, I'm going to tell you, I've been a generous person my whole life, always shared. But I just had, I had an attitude toward a group a segment, one group of people in society. And Jesus said, I got to break that in you. You'll never be able to help those, this, that, whatever it is. And I hate it when even to use the phrase those people because we can't have that kind of separation. They're human beings. They're, 
made in the image of God. They've got the, the image of God in them, even though it's broken. They, they are worthy of our time and our love and our talent. Come on, somebody. Do you hear what I'm saying to you this morning? Next one is give sacrificially. Give sacrificially. Sometimes God will call you to give more than just the first 10%, the force fruits, the representation of the rest, or give the best. Sometimes he basically says, hey, listen, I need a sacrifice from you. And, and you know what? That's relative to your station in life. A sacrifice for some people in this room would be $20. would be a huge sacrifice. There may be some people in this room that to really give sacrificially, you may have to give 20000 for it to be a sacrifice. And let me just say this to you. If the person who the sacrifice is to give 20 and God taps them on the shoulder, and this is always between you and God, no pressure from any man should ever convince you to do that. This has to be a work of the Spirit of the Lord. And if God presses on your heart because you're in a situation and God's wanting to prove himself to you by pouring out blessing on you, and it's a sacrifice for you to give 20 and you give the 20, and the guy who has the ability to give the 20,000 as a sacrifice and he only puts in a check for 2,000, let me tell you, God doesn't look at that and go, oh, wow, look at all that, look at that comma and those zeros and that dot and those two more zeros behind that. God looks and he sees that person obeyed. You know what? God's not judging money in the economic value system that we do as humans or especially even as Americans. But he looks and he sees, what's the attitude of your heart? Is it halaros? Is it with joy? Is it willingly? Is it sacrificially? And then... He sees what's left over when you give that. Jesus stopped the offering one day in Luke. And he basically said, this little widow right here who just threw in those two copper coins gave more than all the rest. And there are Pharisees standing out there going, you must not have seen my check. Did you see how the comma and the zeros that was in that check? Well, Jesus said, no, she gave all she had. She's given more than all of you. See, Jesus looks at your heart and he looks at what's left afterward and he has a way of blessing, dramatically pouring out his blessings on folks who will obey him. And all that's at his discretion and his will. Let me say this to you. Things are not great in our economy right now. And I want you to know that it has, the outcome of this doesn't have anything to do with who's running either house of Congress. And it doesn't really have anything to do with who's in residence at the White House, whether it changes in 2012 or not. Because God's still on the throne and he's got this thing. And if we will be people of obedient hearts who have a heart for the lost and a heart for the poor and a heart for this community, God will see to it that when other people in the same industry you're in, in the same business you're in, are going under, he'll make, let me just tell you a let me tell you a story about a, about a farm that my dad worked on when I was growing up. These folks were the deacons at the Baptist church here in town. They were the Garrett family. My dad worked for them, and the, folk, the people tithed. This was even before Mr. Jimmy, old Mr. Jimmy, ever knew Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. He came to, to saving knowledge of Christ later in life, but he was raised in a family, and his mama said, no, we're going to tithe. We're going to honor God out of this farm. And they literally at times would see it come a rain, and it would right to the road, and it would rain on their land and not rain across the road on the other people's property. 
And for years, God blessed abundantly. I, I remember walking out there, a six-year-old in cotton, taller than I was, and just, just hearing Mr. Jimmy talk, he would come to our house out there that they built for my dad uh, as a farm mechanic, and we lived out there on the property, and he would sometimes come over on Saturday morning or Sunday morning. He would sit down and sit at the table with my mom and my dad and drink coffee, and mom would just didn't care who it was. She'd just talk about Jesus in front of anybody. Just witness and talk about the Lord. Sometimes Mr. Jimmy, who's gone to be with the Lord, who knows Jesus, would just sit there drinking coffee at my mom and dad's table and tears rolling down his cheeks and talking about how God had been good to him and he didn't deserve any of it. And by that time, he'd given his heart to Jesus. I'm going to tell you, it'll work. If you'll be a generous person, God will honor it. He will bless your life. He will bless what you put your hand to. Last thing is, is that giving requires trust. Luke chapter 16, the Bible says, Jesus basically says, how can I trust you with the true riches if you can't handle the worldly mammon? You know, so many times folk have it the other way around. They think, well, you know, if I can you know, handle the things of God, the spiritual things, the gospel, then one of these days when I get to heaven, I'll, I'll live in a 40-room mansion and walk on streets of gold. And I'm, you know, you're just missing the whole point here. God wants you to handle righteous mammon in this life properly. He wants to bless you with more of it right now than you have. And maybe, maybe it's an issue of maybe he can't trust me with any more than I've got right now. Maybe I need to do a better job stewarding, which is how we're going to finish the series last, next week. How am I handling the resources that I do have? Hear this as I close this message. Nobody in America, in spite of the economy that we're in right now, has a right to whine about anything. If you have a shelter and a bed to lay your head down in, and you have more than one change of clothes, and you have something else besides one staple of rice or beans to eat, if you can open a refrigerator and there's cold milk in there, it, come on, if you can open a refrigerator and it dispenses the ice for you, come on, somebody, if you can sit down in your house and there's a fan going and it's not 100 degrees and you're not infested with mosquitoes and rats crawling through and, and you're not having to eat food that's bad and gone sour, come on, if you, if you can sit down and pick up a remote and turn on a TV and watch that thing, you, you are living as a rich person in the world. By the standards of all the rest of the world, we as Americans, even the poorest of us, are rich and blessed of God. Oh, God, let us be thankful and forgive me. Forgive me, Jesus, for my complaints. Oh, God, because of the state of the economy, God, we cry out to you. Help us to step back in this moment and maybe see that you're trying to get our attention, God. When a generation can bring a change. When a nation can go in 50 years time from being the greatest lender nation on the planet to becoming the greatest debtor nation on the planet, something is wrong. God is trying to get our attention. We as the church can be the answer to this. We don't need to let the enemy come in and divide us racially well, if it weren't for all those black people. Well, all these stinking Hispanics are moving in here. All these Native American Indian people. Well, that's, that white man is the devil. That's just the language of hell right there.
you are my brother. I don't care about the color of your skin. I truly am a believer in what my brother, Dr. Martin Luther King, said, that he longed for a day when a man would be judged by the content of his character rather than the color of his skin, and that we could sit down at the table of brotherhood. Race is still this outrageous, demonic stronghold over the Delta. And I'm telling you, I will not quit until I, if I die in my generation, I'm going to preach God who's bigger than race. And you put God in front of race and it becomes grace. We can beat that devil of hell in the name of Jesus. And we have to do it with some generosity. And I'm not talking about money right now. I'm talking about love. I'm talking about loving each other. Praise God. You, I, I need to finish, but I've got a little bit of preach on me in the last minute here. You don't think you're going to get to heaven and God's going to segregate you and let all the little Korean Presbyterians go over there to that side. I tell you what, if they do, I'm hanging out with my Kajic brothers. I want to, with my, with my black brothers, i got to have some choir in heaven. Now, I'm telling you. And, 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 I, and I guarantee you that the part of heaven that I'm going to, they're going to have one of these. They're going to, they're going to have a little bit of church and put the Church of Christ folk over way by themselves because they think they're the only ones that are there. Come on, this party is way bigger than any group. It's not red, yellow, black, and white, but it's all of that. It's not Catholic or Protestant or Baptist or Pentecostal or Presbyterian or Methodist or Lutheran or my God, let's just keep on going and keep on going. All the different. As a matter of fact, let me just tell you something. God's like Steinmart. He's cutting the, the designer labels out of your robes of righteousness. Well, mine's Baptist. I had somebody tell me one time, well, I'm Baptist. And I said, well, I'm a Christian. Thank God. I, thank God for whatever your heritage is. Praise God for it. But that never should come first. You ought to be a Christian Baptist and not a Baptist Christian. Amen. You're not a black Christian. You're not a white Christian. You're a Christian brother or sister. I want to tell you, I'm going to tell you, this, this, I had a brother, a friend of mine in, in North Carolina, who when he went to get his, he, he was a colonel in the army, sharp African-American brother, great church, preached like a man on fire. And when he went to get his driver's license renewed, he, the lady looked at him, and she's checking the appropriate boxes, and he said, other. She said, what do you mean? You're a black man. He said, no, I'm other. I'm a new creation in Christ. None of that stuff matters. My God, if we could walk out of here today and have that identity, that it's not bond or free, it's not June or Greek, it's not red or yellow, black or white, or rich or poor, or educated or uneducated, but it's just we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's where that's the bond of commonality right there. I got to shut up this morning because we got to eat some barbecue. <laughs> Giving requires trust. Bow your heads with me. God, we thank you. Lord, we're so grateful that you have overwhelmed us with your gift. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift, the gift that you've given to us in Jesus Christ. You gave your son. Your son gave his life and shed his blood for us. 
Scripture says that we've all sinned. Our sin separates us from God. There is this gap. There is this chasm. There's this cavern. There's a canyon of separation between me and God. And Jesus has come and he's bridged the gap and he's promised that if I would just in faith and in trust reach out and take hold of the gift that he's given me, that I could for an eternity enjoy the presence of the Father and the love of the Son. But he's also said, if you take your whole life and you spurn that and you turn against it and you reject it, then he will willingly give you the choice that you've made to spend an eternity totally, completely separated from him. That's what hell is. Complete separation from the presence of God. And God has made you his image on the inside of you, even though it's broken and we're all sinful. He's made you to yearn for something that can only be satisfied by himself getting into that place. Come on, some of you sitting in this room this morning, you've tried to fill it with drugs. You, you, you've, tried to, you've tried to fill it with things and you've resorted to stealing. Some of you sitting in this room this morning have tried to fill it with multiple relationships and sexual experiences. Let me tell you something. Every one of those wells of experience and habit all come up dry. The wages of sin is death. God wants to give you the very thing that he's created you to have, and that is himself. The great reformers, Martin Luther, said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the soul of every man that's only satisfied with God himself. There's a space inside you that's, that's longing, it's just yearning, it's crying out to be filled. Some of us have filled that with alcohol, and we've, some of us have filled it with food. Some of us have filled it with things, with pursuit, with work. We've become workaholics. Others have become shopaholics. Lest any of my brothers or sisters in here think we're aiming for anybody. Listen, all of us just have different flavors of sin. We desperately need Jesus. I don't want to spend an eternity apart from the very one who made me to enjoy eternity with him. You know, the answer in that is just understanding three simple words. Jesus, save me. Romans 5 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The godly suffering for the ungodly. Very simply, it just says that if I'll confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says, you will be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You turn from your past, you turn to God. You give God the first fruits, which is your heart. Say, God, I give you my heart. Don't worry about all the mess, all the stuff, all the ducks that aren't in a row, all the habits, all the junk that's there. Guess what? If, you, if you'll give him your heart, the very first fruits of your life, he says, I'll sanctify and make holy and put my favor and my grace on all that other stuff, and I'll even fix it for you. God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. He will do the changing. I can't change you. Religion can't change you. Denominationalism can't change you. Being a Baptist can't change you. Being a Pentecostal can't change you. None of that stuff's what it's about. It's about knowing Jesus Christ personally. So with every head bowed and every eye closed as we close this service this morning, I just want to ask you this. This is one of the most important things you ever come to. The day you were born, the day you understand why. God's going to help some folks in this room understand why you were, 
naturally born years ago because I believe he's going to cause you to be reborn this morning in this place. If there's anybody here who would just like to say with me, Pastor, I'm, I, I don't know how to fix this. I've got all kinds of stuff in my life and I need God to help me. I desperately need him to help me. Nobody's looking around. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call anybody to the, the front, but I just want you, if you would, to like to be included in this prayer, slip your hand up. I want to pray for you right now. Yes, all over the room. Hold your hand up for just a second. Father, you see these hands. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're moving, that you've tuned in the frequency of some receivers this morning. You've already brought some folks out of death and into life. And right now, Father, they're hearing you. They're responding. Do only what you can do, what no man can do, but only God can do. You can put your hands down now. Now, there are believers in the room this morning. You've walked with the Lord for years. And you know what? Some conviction has come because you've realized that maybe you're not as generous as really the Lord is tapping you on the shoulder to be. It's not just with money, but it's with love and friendship and compassion and service and your time. But it also includes your money because that shows us where our heart is, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So all of those things in mind this morning, any believers in the room, you want to say with me, I need a fresh start in this area of my life. I I know God's calling me to to a place of generosity. Would you just hold your hand up? I want to pray for you. Yes. Another group of folks all over the room. Thank you for those hands. You can put them down right now. Father, for that first group who raised their hands, we are so grateful today for the opportunity to, to speak the gospel of God for your words or spirit in their life. Thank you, oh God, that you've called some folks by their, by their name and you've brought them out of death to life today. Lord, even as they've said in their hearts, Jesus, save me, and they're turning from the past and turning to you. Thank you, oh God, that you do the work of the Holy Spirit that no man can do. In Jesus' name, Lord, we give you praise, Lord, that they've got a fresh start today and they're walking in you and you've made them new in Jesus Christ. Lord, for my brothers and sisters, the latter part, who raised their hands. They already know you, Jesus, but Lord, like me that day, I I needed to give. I needed to let you loosen the hardness of my heart to become more generous. Thank you, Lord, that you're doing that in this congregation. Those that raised their hands, Lord, thank you that you give seed to the sower. Help them to look around and to see the things that they can give, to bless other people, to be generous, to help the poor, those that are less fortunate. Thank you, Father, that Nobody can outgive you, and that when we bless the poor and give to them, we lend to the Lord. And the Bible says the Lord will repay them all. Let us all go out of here today, oh God, so grateful. Forgive us for complaining about this nation. We pray for this nation. Send revival, oh God. We cry out to you. Touch the delta. Lord, break the back of the demonic stronghold of racism here. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the the amazing tapestry of red and yellow, black and white. Lord, I'm so thankful that we're seeing that happen in this church, that people love each other because of the work of God and not because of the color color of our skin. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said,